Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Well, if you were here last week, I told some stories about my grandpas, and so today I'm going to start with a story about my grandma. She's my only living grandparent. She's 86 years young. Uh, her name's Mary, but I call her Meemaw, and um, there's a lot that she's experienced in her life, um, but every time I see her, there's two things she tells me. She always says she loves me. She's praying for me and our family. I love that, but the second thing she says, she's probably the last five times I've seen her. She lives in Richmond. So uh, I only get to see her every few weeks or whatever. But the last five times I've seen her, she's told me some variation of this. She says, I never thought I would live to be this old. I don't know what to say to that, so I just smile and nod. Like, wait, right? But she just, she loves to tell me how old she is. And she says, I never thought I'd live to be this old. One of the reasons she says that is because she's been through a lot in her life. Um, Most specifically, I was thinking this morning of cancer. Um, That's not the only thing that she's been through, but she's been through cancer at least three different times that I know of in her 86 years of life. Now, there's people in this room that have fought cancer. I know it's a tender subject for some, but they fought and they won, and they're still here, uh, testimonies to the grace of God. Um, But getting that news was hard, right? You have cancer. Again, some of you in this room very much know that feeling. Others of us, like myself, I, I don't know what that would feel like, but... I imagine if that's been you, you you do a lot uh, of crying maybe initially, emotional response, you research, you look for the best specialists, and then you get to work. You get to work uh, engaging people in your life to pray, and you get ready to fight. You fight, right? Because you know the one thing you don't do when you find out you have cancer is tolerate it. You want to fight. You want to do whatever you can to get that out of you and for my grandma she made the choice even a few years ago when we kind of felt like grandma you're kind of old enough that you know how you didn't say that but we were kind of thinking really but she didn't want that anywhere near her she was not going to tolerate cancer she didn't say it's okay let's just let it have its way people that have battled cancer maybe know that that's not her story she was not going to tolerate that I say that to you because I want us to get to Revelation chapter 2. So turn with me in your copy of Scripture. We've been uh, on a journey this summer through the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. You can see on the screen there, it's in in small print, each of those churches represented. And so we've been going through these letters one by one. So today we arrive at the church of Thyatira. So we'll we'll, we'll be there in Revelation 2 in just a minute. But before we get there, what do we know about Thyatira? It was a real place, a real church. So what do we know about this place? Well, we know that it was a a commercial center in the Roman Empire. 
It was well known for, for trade guilds. These guilds were associations of artisans and they made bronze and leather and wool and linen. In today's world, we might call them unions. But what was unique about these in Thyatira is they were deeply religious. They were tied to the pagan religion of the day. So in other words, if you wanted opportunities to work and do business, you had to renounce Christ and follow the pagan religions of the day or risk losing your living. And so with that as the background, we're going to turn now uh, Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. And we're going to stop a few times because this is a hard word today. So we're going to stop and digest it a little bit in pieces as we journey through the word together. Uh, Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Again, this is the picture of Jesus, right? I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. This is not just a, a, a theologian. This is not just a message. This is the words of Jesus to this church. And the word, at least initially, is commending this church for some good things. We could call them the four L's of Thyatira. Uh, the first L, they are a laboring church. They work hard. I know your deeds. They're a loving church. Again, Jesus commends them on their love. They're a loyal church. They're committed for their faith. They're a long-suffering church, your service and perseverance. So in spite of this, in spite of the good things that they're doing now, Jesus has a word of challenge for them. It begins in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So, so while there, there is a lot that's going right, Jesus has this problem, significant problem, specifically with what they tolerate, with what this church is willing to tolerate. This woman, uh, she's called Jezebel here. Likely her name was not really that. She's called that because it's a reference to 2 Kings chapter 9, where the queen Jezebel uh, leads the Israelites into the worship of the pagan god Baal. And so this woman now, who is a real person within the church, is claiming to be a prophet. So she's claiming to be someone sent by God, but she's leading people into all sorts of immorality, sexual immorality, sexual sin. She's even encouraging them to eat food sacrificed to idols, which is a form of idolatry, putting something else before the Lord. And now, the people, rather than being shocked by this, they're, they're tolerating it. In spite of all the good things they're doing, they're tolerating it. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, repay each of you according to your deeds. So she's been given a chance to repent, right? And change her ways, but she refuses. And so suffering is promised. When it says here, those that commit adultery, while there is reference here to sexual immorality, what that is more likely a reference to is spiritual idolatry. The people, the people being reprimanded here are not being faithful to God. 
They're not being faithful to him. And so those that are deceived by her will be guilty of the same judgment that she will receive. Verse 24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, those who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So in summary, what is Jesus commends the church for some things, but, but he has this issue. They tolerate sin, sexual sin, also idolatry, placing something else, anything else before worship of the Lord. And the Lord himself, Jesus himself, will be the judge and will judge each according to their deeds. Now pause with me for a minute, and, and I want you to do something that you should do every day. Breathe. <laughs> now, now I, I know you breathe every day, but, but I hope once a day, somewhere throughout your day, you stop and you do something like this. And I don't know about you, um, reading a word like this, and certainly preaching a word like this, I have to pause at least once and just go, whew, this is hard. This is, a, this is a hard word from Jesus, written to a real group of people, a real church, and these words are for us today too. And so as we read through them, I just want to pause for a minute and catch our breath and just acknowledge this is hard. But we've, we've made a decision as a church. As a church, we've made a decision that we're going to spend seven weeks studying the seven letters right from the words of Jesus. And so in doing that, we've made the decision that we want the truth from the Lord. We don't want just the truth that's easy to hear. We want the full truth. In fact, if you're serious about studying Revelation and studying these seven letters, you know what you're really saying to the Lord? You're saying, Lord, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. The whole thing, Lord. And so today, as we turn to the word, that's, that's what we're saying. Lord, give me the truth. Even when it's hard sometimes. Even when I would rather turn the page and let's, let's get to the easier stuff. Lord, give me the truth. So maybe as we're reading, you're, you're saying, where's the hope in this? Where's the hope in and really hard words of judgment that Jesus is giving? And well, lucky for us, there's hope right here at the end of the letter. Look. Just the last uh, four verses here, starting in verse 26. This is the hope present. To the one, Jesus says, who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces. Uh, he's quoting the Old Testament here. Just as I have received authority from my father. Verse 28, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Where is hope in this passage? In Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. In me, in me. By turning away from lies and turning away from deceit and refusing to tolerate the things that are not of me, you will have victory. That's how this letter ends, pointing to victory, but victory in Christ. Well, if you're found in him, if you have faith in him, if you believe his word and his truth, you will have victory. Believers in Christ, Jesus is saying, who remain faithful to the end will rule and will reign with him. When we started this journey through Revelation several weeks ago, uh, I pointed out that Revelation is an incredible book of prophecy, but it's also a book of invitation. We think of the first, we think of the words of Revelation, and again, we're just studying the seven letters. We're not doing an exhaustive study, but as you read through Revelation, wow, it's wow, this is prophecy, and it points to things to come, and it's true, but we, we might miss the invitation that's present throughout these pages, and this letter is a letter of invitation. 
Remember how Revelation ends. If you go all the way to the end of the book, in Revelation 22, we get this picture. We get this picture of Jesus, and it says this, The Spirit of the Bride says, Come. This is Revelation 22, 17. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life come. So, so what is the final message, the final word in the book of Revelation is this invitation of Jesus saying, Come to me if you're hungry and you're thirsty. Come to me. And in the same way that this entire book of Revelation ends with that message, really, this letter to the church in Thyatira ends Yes, it's a hard word, a word of judgment, but it ends with an invitation saying, come to me. There's victory in me. You don't have to fear what's coming. If you're with me, if you're found in me, there's hope in Jesus. So, what is this word saying to us? We have to ask ourselves uh, often when we open the word, all right, Lord, what are you saying to us? And, and there's a really obvious implication. The obvious implication is that we would ask ourselves, how is this true of us? How are we individually or, or as a church tolerating sin in our lives? That's an obvious question that we should ask and an important question. But I want to propose to you today a different approach. That's not the foundational question this morning. It's an important one, but I don't think it's the most important one. And if you hang with me, I want to suggest why. I want to suggest to you that that it would be easy today to read this text and then identify in our lives behaviors and habits and things that we're doing that don't please the Lord. And and we should do that. But it's possible to do those things and ignore the root of the problem, the root of the issue. And so I want to suggest biblically a, a different approach. An approach that begins with our actions first and doesn't address the heart, is missing the mark. It's missing the deeper truth. On the screen behind me, I have have Psalm 139. This is a beautiful prayer. This is a prayer that I pray often in my life, and it's, it's straight out of the Word of God. And you might be familiar with it, but the psalmist says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want you to see on the next slide, I underline this little part for us here. Search me, O God, and would you just say that with me? Know my heart. And it ends with this really cool, lead me in the way. So so again, what is the goal of this prayer? Oh Lord, lead me in your way, lead me in your path. But we don't start by saying, search me, O God, and know my actions. Search me, O God, and observe my behaviors. Now, am I saying that our actions don't matter? Absolutely not. Am I I saying the way that we treat others and we respond doesn't matter? Absolutely not. But I think we should take a note from the psalmist here that we begin first by saying, Lord, search my heart. That we notice first that the transformation that we're looking for begins here first. And that's why it's important to note that the psalmist begins by saying, search my heart because that's the root that's the source if we aren't careful we can read words hard words like we read today in revelation and we can develop what's called an what i'm calling an outside in theology an outside in theology a theology that focuses so much on the outside and first on all the outside things and doesn't really focus on the inside A theology that says, let me just clean up the outside and hope that maybe it sinks in to the heart. Where the word 
calls us to a much different approach. Remember, remember what Ephesians, uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus, the very beginning of these letters, the first letter that we read. Remember uh, Revelation 2.4? Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I don't have your heart. And all of these other things matter. And all of your behaviors and actions, those matter. But you know what matters most? I don't have your heart. I don't have your heart. If I don't have your heart, then none of these other things, however good they may seem, none of those really matter if I don't have your heart. I don't believe in an outside-in theology because it's not biblical. It's not in the gospel The gospel speaks of inside-out transformation. Transformation that begins first with with a radical change in our hearts and it continues out into every part of our lives. The gospel speaks of holiness. Holiness. Now that word holiness is not written anywhere in the letter that we're talking about today. And you won't really find it present throughout the letters. But I felt like it was important. Any study in the seven letters to the church in Revelation, you have to pause and understand the purpose, the importance of holiness. What is holiness? That's a, that's a word. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. It's a churchy word, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a biblical truth, but one that's often misunderstood. It's misunderstood by people that don't know much about the Bible, the Word. It's misunderstood by those of us that know the Word well sometimes. To be holy means to be set apart. And what's true is we know, we know that God is holy. We know it because it tells us throughout Scripture, throughout the story of God, that God is holy. And that should make pretty good sense to us because He's perfect and good and He's a creator and He knows all things and He's loving. He's holy. We get that part maybe, but then, but then the problem is that we're not holy. I'm not, you're not, not on our own, right? We're just kind of normal people living our lives and messing up and falling short. And so this idea of holiness doesn't really resonate with us because that's a God thing and it can't ever be a me thing. At least that's, that's what we think. That's how we feel. This idea throughout Scripture, throughout the story of God, is the story of a holy God drawing, redeeming, inviting an unholy people back into relationship with Him. That's what the story of God is. A holy God, and and we were created in His image, and we were made, and it was good, but then we choose sin, right? We, We choose the other path. And so we're not holy, but God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't forsake us. This entire book is the story, the redemption story of a holy God calling an unholy people back to him, redeeming them, forgiving them, healing them, drawing us back into relationship because ultimately, listen, ultimately the call of a holy God is that we would be holy. That's what it says in the word that we are to be holy as he's holy. Be holy? What? I, I? Me? I can't be holy. Look at me. I'm just normal. I'm average. Not impressive. So there's some problems, right, when we talk about holiness. And the first is that, is that we just look at our lives and say, I can't be holy. Look at me. My life's not, I'm nothing special about me. Holy, that's kind of those saints and the people we read about in here. That's not me. I can't be holy. But there's another problem with this idea of holiness that I want to address today. 
And it's that we believe holiness is an outside-in experience. We believe when we read about it, we think about it, we talk about holiness, we start wanting to address all of the behaviors in our lives that aren't good and aren't right and aren't holy, but we would neglect the heart. And the truth is, there's no place in Scripture where we see an outside-in theology. There's no place in Scripture where we read about holiness being an outside-in experience. Listen, I want you to hear, this is what I'm talking about. Holiness is the perfect love of God poured out into our hearts and through our hearts. That's the simplest way I know to describe it to you. It's the perfect love of God poured out into our hearts and then in turn through our hearts to others. But holiness, holiness can't be an outside in. It can't be because what what will happen is you'll try to live a life devoted to religion or you'll end up living a life that leads to legalism. And there's no hope in that and there's no freedom in that kind of life. Listen, we don't achieve holiness. Instead, we receive it. That's what the word says. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive. It's a gift given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit from our heavenly Father. I wrote this down. This was really helping me. If you pursue holiness, you will never find it. But if you pursue Jesus, you will find holiness every time. It's not something that we achieve. It's something we receive from him. Don't take my word for it. Charles Spurgeon, theologian, said this. If you think you can walk in holiness without keeping in perpetual fellowship and relationship with Christ, you've made a great mistake. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. Oswald Chambers says it this way. uh, Purity of heart, holiness is too deep down for me to get to naturally. What's he saying? He's saying, I can't be holy. That's what Oswald Chambers said. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings into the center of my life the very spirit that was manifested in the life of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit. So, what does this word, maybe a a brief theology lesson, right? What does this have to do with the book of Revelation? What does this have to do with the church in Thyatira? And what in the world does it have to do with us today? Well, because we believe, because the word teaches that holiness is an inside-out transformation, we must begin by first saying, Lord, search my heart. That's not always the first place we go, is it? Sometimes we want to shore up the things on the outside, and maybe we neglect the heart. But I don't want the Lord, listen, I'm going to talk about me for a minute. I don't want the Lord to just do work on the outside and not do the real work that needs to happen on the inside of my heart. You know what Jesus called people like that in the New Testament? The Pharisees that cleaned up everything on the outside, but they failed to let him do the work on the inside. He said they're like whitewashed tombs. They look so good and clean, but inside they're dead. I don't want that to be true of me. I certainly don't want it to be true of this church. I want the Lord to work 
from the inside out. Man, I, I can't, again, the things that, are, that I'm doing in my life that don't please him, I care about those things, but I want the Lord first to start with my heart. I want him to transform me through his holy and perfect love so that can be poured out into every area of my life, not the other way around. See, I want to suggest to you, church, that the call to holiness, the biblical call to holiness has never been more important. Why? Why? Because the world thinks it's impossible and far too many times within the church, we make it something that it's not. We cheapen it. We water it down. We make holiness about just being good people, moral people, whitewashed tombs, which is really just self-righteousness. What am I trying to say? I can't say it any more clearly than this. Church, I believe, and at our church, we believe that the power of God is greater than the power of sin. I don't know how else to say it, but to say it that way, and I'm going to say it again. We believe that the power of God, and again, why do we believe this? This is what our Bible says, that the power of God is greater than the power of all sin. All sin. That's really good news today, because if that's not true, you and I, we don't have any hope, do we? Because we're just trying to make it look good on the outside, and on the inside we're broken and confused, and we're just going to try to get... But, but because that's true, because God's word is true, that the power of God is greater than any power of sin in our lives than man, we have an incredible hope. And we can allow the holy love of God to transform us from the inside out so that we can be the men and women and the students and the young people that he wants us to be for such a time as this. The call this morning is really, really simple, but it's really, really profound. And I have it on the screen behind me. The truth is God wants all of us. That's what Jesus was saying to the church in Thyatira. That's what he's saying to his church today. I want all of you. I want the, the things in your life, the actions and behaviors that, that you're tolerating sin, but, but I, I even want deeper than that. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want you to allow me to transform you from the inside out. I want to fill you. This is what the Lord is speaking to us today. He, he wants to fill us with his holy love. You and I, unholy people, right? Imperfect people. But he wants to come and fill us with his holy love and transform us so that we can be everything he wants us to be. Transform us day by day and moment by moment. It's not a slam, bam, and I'm good. No, no, no. The, the rest of my journey is a journey of grace as I learn what it means more and more that that statement would be true, that he wants all of us. And so today... Today, does he have all of you? Remember what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all. That kind of makes me wonder today, are you loving him today with all? Your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's where it begins. The only hope that we have in, in Revelation is transformation found in him that, that he could do the work beginning here transforming us here and and some of you have experienced that but it's been a long time and the world is messy 
and you get a little fearful and you get too focused on, on other things. And, but maybe others in the room today, you've never believed that. You never believed that God could do that in you. You've never believed that the power of God is greater than the power of the sin in your life. Maybe that's true for other people, but not for you. And so today, I want to extend to you an invitation. God wants all of us. He wants to fill you with his perfect love. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. Would you do that with me for a minute? We're gonna um, sing in a minute. We're gonna pray. We're gonna give opportunity for um, the Lord to speak. Part of what it means to be his church is that we don't just read the word, but we obey the word. We respond to the word. And so today, I don't want you to just hear a message. I don't want you to just hear the word. I want you to obey. I want you to respond. I want you to listen to the Lord. I believe he's here and I believe he's speaking to me and to you. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Would you just bow your heads with me? And I'm going to pray in a minute, but then I'm going to be quiet and we're going to sing and we're going to just give time and space for you to pray. And there's a whole lot of ways that we can respond today, but I want to invite you today that every person in the sound of my voice that wants to respond this way can. Some of us, as I begin to pray, some of us just want to come and kneel at an altar today. And that's not a show. That's not a, well, me, I'm marching down the aisle. Everybody look. It's just an outward response to something the Lord is doing inside our hearts. Do you have to come? No, there's no pressure. Nobody's going to force you to do anything. But I, I just felt led in the first service and now to invite some that would want to join me today and just kneeling and saying, God, you can have it all. Maybe I've said that before, but today in this moment, I'm saying it again. You can have it all. I need, Lord, I'm desperate for your holy love to be poured out into me because apart from that, I am hopeless and I'm afraid. But I believe that your power is greater. I believe that your power is greater. And so today I, I want... I want all of that. And so if that's you, as I'm praying, as we respond in worship, I just want to invite, there's no pressure, but I believe some of us in the room today just want to spend a minute kneeling at an altar and praying, just coming before the Lord, humbling ourselves and saying, God, I need you today. So Jesus, thank you for your word. It's a hard word, but thank you that it's a word that comes with hope. The hope that says, come to me, come to me. That's our hope in you, that on our own, we will we'll, we'll fail, we'll fall short. We won't measure up, but in you, there's hope. So come, and, and I just pray for each and every person in this room. I don't know where they are, but I just pray that we would respond today to say, Lord, you can have it all. Fill me with your perfect love transform me from the inside out. Lord, we need you today. As some of us kneel, as some of us stand and worship, Lord, would you just come and be present, be close to us, Lord. We need you today. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info 
at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.